morning again. I'm going to invite our speaker, Brian, uh, just to come back up here this morning. Uh, and what we're going to do uh, today is, again, like we said earlier, we had, again, a box in the back where you guys put questions in. And uh, we're going to answer some of those this morning, as many as we can. And, uh, but before we do, I want to just kind of put something out there that I feel is important to say when we talk about uh, even questions in the church. And uh, first and foremost is the idea that, that asking questions is okay. Uh, for a lot of us, questions feel kind of awkward or weird. And for myself, I grew, I grew up in the church as well. And for many years of my life, I felt like it wasn't okay to ask questions about my faith. Or uh, maybe it was words that I thought were confusing in the Bible. Or uh, hearing church words for my whole life and then not knowing what they meant. But I was afraid to ask questions about them. Because I thought I was going to be uh, looked down on because I didn't understand things. And I thought that I was supposed to know answers to, to certain things because I grew up in the church. But that is just such a huge misconception. And uh, you don't have to know all the answers. In fact, most of us, all of us don't know all the right answers. We, we don't know everything about the Bible. We don't know everything about our faith. And, and questions are okay. And Questions actually show humility and, uh, and a desire to know and a desire to grow in our faith. And, and so just want to first and foremost get out there that, that questions are, are something that are totally okay to ask. And uh, people aren't, you shouldn't be embarrassed if you don't know the right answer. You shouldn't um, feel ashamed or guilty if you don't know uh, the right answer. Even if you've been going to church for a long time. There are oftentimes things that we just hear about and then are assumed to know the right answers, but have never actually been explained what something actually means or where do we see it in Scripture. And so questions are okay, but then uh, kind of what I even said there on that last part, in the right context and asking questions to the right people. We, you have questions, but you shouldn't just ask anyone your questions. And TikTok's not the place to go for your answers. Google's not even the place to go for your, your Bible questions because there's so many things that are out there on the internet that you can just find whatever answer it is that you want to find. Uh, if you want to find theology that lines up with what you want to believe, you're going to find it on the internet. The place that you need to go for questions is the Bible or go to people in your life who are spending a ton of time in the Word of God. Go to youth pastors, your counselors, your pastors, or maybe even your parents. If you have parents that, uh, that are godly parents and who love the Word of God, it's a great place to go. And I know it's scary to even think, like, oh, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I should know this answer, and my, my parents are going to be embarrassed if I don't know the right answer on this. Uh, but I, I, I would believe that most of your parents, if they love the Lord, would be thrilled if you asked them questions that, hey, I don't actually understand this. Would Mom, Dad, would you help me? Would you help me understand this? And so questions are great, but again, who you ask your questions to, where you're looking for answers uh, is very important uh, in that in that vein and so brian anything else on that that you you would add yeah and i think the only thing i'd add is uh youth pastors and counselors it's okay to say i don't know <laughs> like, mm, i always yes. have this pressure this or students thing, right or yeah. students like i don't know it's okay to say i don't know but i will go find out or i'll go look so instead of uh, i i've been guilty at guilty of it so much i'll just start rambling and and then i forgot the question and i'm still going and at the end, I thought, I made no difference. In fact, they probably saw that I didn't know, and they just thought, would you shut up at some point? And I didn't. So it is okay to say, I don't know that one. Um, and it doesn't mean you don't have faith. It doesn't mean you don't know anything about your faith. 
just means you're still growing. Uh, so there's still times, even Q&As, I'm like, oh, God, give me wisdom, give me wisdom, because I want to be able to make sure I can answer questions, but if there's something I can't answer, I just want to be honest, say, I don't know yet. Yet. That's the keyword. I don't know yet, but I want to go find out. Cool? That's yeah, that's say. a great, I love that, and adding that is so important. Because again, as, as believers, especially if you've been a believer for a long time, you feel like the need to answer every question. But yeah, like you said, it's okay to say, I don't know. In fact, that's probably more beneficial for someone else's faith, for them to see someone else who they, if they're asking you a question, it means they trust you. And for them to, for you to show that humility and go yeah. like, yeah, I actually, I don't know that either. Let me, you know, let me dive into the word, spend yeah. a couple of days or talking to other people in my life who I, who I trust find the answer. That's great. Yeah. Um, but we're just going to kind of go through this, again, this, these questions, this list as fast as possible. Brian, the first question, it kind of even lines up with what we talked about last night as we look at <clears throat> sin and this idea of sin in our world. But it says, how do you repent? Mm. Yeah. Um, one, I think you have to start with the character of God and what you know about him. Uh, always start there and you always go back to the scriptures. Um, if you have a view of God where repentance should be shameful, um, you're not going to do it. Um, but if you have the right view of God where he's gracious and loving and I mean, he holds us to a standard of himself, <clears throat> but to repent, like I was explaining last night, you're going one direction, like you're living in your sin, um, or you're, like you're, maybe you're just waiting in, the <laughs> waiting in the pool of sin. You turn away. Like It's not uh, any basketball players out, and I kind of mentioned last night, you're not playing zone defense. It's like you're not sitting there guarding this guy from a distance while you're looking this way. That's not what you do with sin in Jesus. You completely face Jesus. And then, I mean, it's weird, I'm even preaching on this this Sunday at our church. There is a difference between facing Jesus and following Jesus. And I think maybe we kind of adopted this Christianity where I turn from sin, but I'm going to stay, keep some distance from Jesus because it's a little bit more comfortable that way. We're, we're called to follow Jesus. So repentance is turning from something and going toward Jesus. And I think you got to keep in mind that you... you you may start struggling in sin. Temptations come. Maybe you fall into it, followers of Jesus. You fall into sin. Repentance is God's gift. It's driven by faith. Like, I know I can come back. I want to come back to you, Jesus. And so daily, we should be repenting from things if there's things we need to without feeling guilt for it. But turn away from something, turn towards something is repentance. Does that make sense? Okay. I'd say in that, you've in order to, the desire to repent comes from a, a correct understanding of our sin, right? Mm -hmm. of, of not just seeing our sin as something that's kind of bad, but again, as we talked about last night, as our sin is going against God, it's treason against, against who God is, and the desire to turn away from our sin has to come from, a, again, a total understanding of what our sin is. And if you're just, if you're downplaying your sin or minimizing it or, again, if it's, if it's for selfish reasons of like, man, well, I don't want to feel this way anyway, I'm going to turn away. Man, there's not a true heart of repentance. You're never, you're never going to truly repent. You have to, repentance requires also in this honest uh, confession of your sin. And you have to be able to actually face your sin. If you are saying, ah, I did something bad and I need to turn away, I don't know if you have a true view of what your sin is. And so you're not actually going to really uh, go away from it. And as you look at it, it brings me to 1 John 1. And uh, there's a passage in it starting in verse, really the whole first chapter. But uh, specifically in verse 8, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
But then verse 9 says, but if we confess our sin, he's faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And again, this, this first step in repentance has to come from an understanding that we have to confess our sin and recognize that we are sinners, right? And that uh, kind of leads us into our next question. You kind of even talked about it a little bit, but says, how do you deal with guilt mm. even after, it says, the question says, even after you apologize to God and your parents, but really I think this means, again, is how do you... How do you uh, deal with guilt even after you've repented of your sin, I guess, is what this, the question's asking. Yeah. Um, gosh, guilt sucks, doesn't it? But, and then what's the difference between guilt and conviction, right? The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, but we have guilt. And I think one is healthy and the other isn't. They feel the same, somewhat. But I always picture guilt like a bowl, and you just stew in it. There's no way out. You just feel guilty and nothing changes. Conviction is the Holy Spirit saying, this needs to change. And I always, I always explain it like, like the Holy Spirit has a thumb and he's just sticking it on your neck. And when you're not paying attention, it gets a little heavier, a little heavier until all of a sudden you pay attention. And then he says, now this is the way to go. But for those that say, man, I still struggle with guilt. There has to come a place where you actually trust the word of God more than your feelings. And so when I get to Isaiah chapter 6, and Isaiah says, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. I see, man, I see him. But his first response, when he sees this whole thing, he says, woe is me. Like, I'm going to die. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. He confesses his own sinfulness. And I live among a people of unclean lips. He confesses the sin of the people of Israel. And then there's this part in verse 6. It says, then one of the seraphim, you guys remember what the seraphim was? Did I mention that? Is an angel that's on fire and likes it. That's impressive. Right? If you're sitting there going, yeah, this is me. I'm on fire and it's good. Guys, that's pretty impressive. The seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that had been taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and, and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Listen, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So why would we continue to live in the guilt that God has freed us from? Like if God's not holding it against me, why would I hold it against myself? And so if anything, while you're, it's like, man, the guilt is hitting, you speak the word of God to yourself. It's like you start preaching the truth of what the scriptures say. When you get into Romans chapter seven, the, the second half, Paul's like, man, I keep doing the things I don't wanna do and the things I should do, I don't do those things. And he's, it almost sounds like helpless and hopeless. He goes, oh, who, who will save me from this body of death? He goes, oh, but praise be to God. And in Romans chapter eight, verse one, he says, therefore, there is what? Now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The guilt is gone. The sin's been atoned for. So why would you hold yourself as unforgiven for that which God has already forgiven you for? If as a dad, I, I look at my boys, if they've done something and we've dealt with it, I'm done with it. We don't need to keep going back to it. And if ever they feel, God, or dad, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry. I'm like, we already dealt with it, I'm done. And so accept forgiveness. When you've surrendered to Christ, your sin has been removed from God as far as the east is from the west. He's not going, man, you do it one more time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind you of what you did 12 years ago. Or for some of you, you're only 12, so two years ago. Like, he's not how he works, friends. He deals with the stuff as it comes, but also living the freedom that comes to be in Christ. You're forgiven for things you haven't even done yet. Like you are seen as holy as Jesus is because you belong to Jesus. That's mind-blowing to me. So guilt, I think it's the, it's the devil's ploy to try to get us to live in this condemnation and the scriptures teach completely otherwise. Does that make sense? Hopefully. 
Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it just it comes to an understanding again of the character of who God is, and saying, "Do I believe that when God says this, that He He truly views me that way?" That's good. It's yeah, it's it's a sweet thing. Um, you uh, you kind of actually even mentioned something in this next question, but it says, "Are there different types of angels?" <laughs> yeah, but they're all awesome. <laughs> but like, think about it. You'll have ones that are on fire. The writer of Hebrews actually says, "Some of you have entertained angels and haven't even known it." I'm like, dang. So they just kind of look like us. Now I wish I I want to know. Like I want to rent the video of my life, and I want to know which one of them are, and then try to find them in heaven. Like you, that was you, man. You drove me nuts, or man, you super encouraged me. It's like, yeah, you'll see in in the gospel accounts when they go to see the resurrected body of Jesus. It says a man wearing all white, which is a little weird. It's kind of like a Colonel Sanders thing from KFC, but it's like. It's like he's wearing all white, but it doesn't say that he's glowing or has wings. Or, but then you have other ones where you have like these, like these archangels, these warriors. I think sometimes we just kind of picture like they're tiny little things with sweet little wings. Guys, I honestly picture some of them as just these massive warriors, just jacked, like ready to go. So you've got some that are like that, some that are on fire. You've got beings in, in heaven where they have different types of heads or faces and eyes all over their body. And I'm like, what the heck is that? Like at some point you're going to be freaked out, I think, by looking at them. But then according to the scriptures, when we see Jesus and his glory, we'll faint as though dead. So he'll take the center stage. But yeah, angel, I I wish I could say that these are all of them. I don't think we even have a clue how many different types there are. They're all crazy, though. <laughs> they're all just... They all look insane. They're all scripture. Awesome. I, uh, I can't wait. If we have cell phones, we're going to be taking pictures of all of them. <laughs> I don't think we will. I don't think we will either, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's a good what if, though. Can, can you imagine... Uh, can you imagine Jesus iPhone in 15. Glory, You're like, <laughs> yeah. um, you're not even paying attention. Oh, my gosh, look at this picture of a flower. So it's just... I don't think it's going to be like that. Yeah, though, I don't think so either. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, shifting gears a little bit. This, this question says, how do I get rid of the distance between me and God? Hmm. Well, one, okay. Let me answer that first part, and then I got a second one to go with it. The first is this. Um, Jesus is the one who's, who, who invites us to this thing called, he uses this word abide or remain. Um, I feel like a lot of times what we do with God, <clears throat> and say you do have a quiet time, quote, unquote, so you read your Bible, check, and you prayed, check, right? And you got it done. Now you feel like a good Christian. But can you imagine if that's how I, like, that's the kind of conversation or communication I had with my wife? Like if I woke up in the morning, like, I'm going to do it in the morning so I can get on with the rest of my day. So can we talk it out? And then I say, hey, my turn, don't talk. My turn, I'm going to talk. And about 10 minutes, I'm like, I'm done. Okay, your turn. Come on, I'll be quiet, talk. And then after 10 minutes, I'm timing it, boom, done. Oh, thank goodness that's over. I can get off my day. Guys, I don't think that you'd sit there and go, man, she's a lucky lady. And yet I wonder how many of your relationships with God, it's like that. It's like, well, I did the quiet time, and I, did, I prayed, and I did it, and now I don't have to. To abide means to never be out of the presence of God. Like to stay in there with him all the time. And so you should pray to him, absolutely, but you should play with him also. So when you come in for rec, come in with a worshipful attitude before Jesus and then go play rec as if Jesus is playing rec with you. Like don't just limit it to a 30-minute time in the morning, but you have to be in the word. 
You have to be in prayer. You have to abide in him. You have to remain. There's times to be quiet, to practice silence and solitude, to be, a, to be by yourself. There's spiritual disciplines to put into place. Second, though, for those at, at times, just like, I'm doing all that, and he just feels far away. Guys, wilderness moments are necessary. It's not, always a, it's not always connected to, well, you sinned and God has moved you away from himself. If that's the case, then Jesus really didn't do it well when he went into the wilderness, led by the Spirit for 40 days because God had a work to do in his life. And he said, I go, well, he's God. Yeah, but he's also, he was also man. So he wasn't, he learned, he, learned, or he learned obedience through suffering, which is so crazy to think that God Almighty, the second person in the Trinity, learned something. But even in his journey on earth, he had a wilderness moment. Friends, I've learned more from the wilderness times than through the comfortable times. Like it's those, think about it. When you feel like God's away, don't you cry out more? Don't you pray harder? Don't you seek him harder? And I think in that moment, God is revealing, God is revealing our own hearts to us. And he's showing, hey, I, God, I'm, I'm not about worshiping your experience. I don't want your experience. I want you. Guys, it's so easy to be a Christian if all of it is, is it's a mountaintop high every time. But I'm convinced sometimes God will take away the emotion to make sure we'll be obedient. But start with the word. And, and when it's dry or when it feels like he's far, don't change. Stay in the word. Stay in the word. Confess. Repent. Um, journal. Solitude. Silence. Keep talking. And I promise you this. Guys, you will, you will experience intimacy with him as he desires for you to do so. Yeah. And a verse of, I think it so often comes to mind some of you may, you know, may know it. It's one of those, one of the, what we would say, maybe those uh, pillow embroidery verses. Oh, yeah. uh, but it's, a, it's in James in four, James 4. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, which is 100% true. Again, as we, as we seek God, uh, you know, as you learn more about God, you, you become closer, just as you would with a friend, right? If you, if you wanted to get to know someone here at camp that you never met, you got to spend time with them. But what I love, again, in that verse is the surrounding text in, uh, in James 4. It also says um, that if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy to God. And it talks about uh, those who, who say they want to draw near to God, but then they continue to gossip. Or those who, who are like, I want to know God, but continue to be proud and arrogant and, uh, and spend all this time in the worldliness. And you cannot be a friend to the world and a friend to God at the same time. And... Uh, but so often we just say, well, I just, I want to know God, so he's, he's, so he's going to want to know me, right? You do have to spend time, like Brian said, you have to spend time in the Word, getting to know him as you would anyone else, even, again, when it's hard, uh, or doesn't feel like he's, he's near. But, uh, again, we also have to, it says right here, it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Uh, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter turn into mourning and your joy uh, and, you, and your joy to gloom, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And, man, just, the Bible's also very clear about how we ought to live our lives, and we can't just, we have to turn away from the things of the world in order to turn near to God. You can't be double-minded. You can't be both. And so, yes, draw near to God, and, draw, and he will draw near to you, but uh, we do have to cleanse ourselves from the things of this world and desire, not desire those things, but to desire God. And how you desire the world less is by knowing God more. They kind of go hand in hand. Oh, man. Um, Brian, this one, again, another heartbreaking kind of question, but it just says, am I enough for God? Oh, man. Mm. Man, I wish I knew who you were. You don't have to raise your hand, but, man, come up and tell me afterwards. I'm still going to answer the question. 
I think the cross is proof. I think the cross is proof. I, I'm going to say this next part, and I hope whoever write, wrote this question that you understand it. Hold on. Listen to the whole thing. God does not need you, but he desperately wants you. We don't have a God who's needy. The Trinity is completely fulfilled and satisfied among, among the Trinity. He wants you. At no point has he ever thought, nope, I'm done. At no point has he ever regretted calling you. Yeah, you... <laughs> it's humbling to think that you are the inheritance that God gets. Like Ephesians chapter 1 tells us. Like the inheritance of the saints. Like that's God's inheritance. And he couldn't be more thrilled. And so when you ask, is, am I enough for God? Absolutely. And he takes every part of you. And then he'll work this process of sanctification. And it goes on for the rest of your life. And he's so patient and loving in it. And he's so loving that he'll confront us and kind of call us to the mat. And at times he might even have to drop us to the mat. And it's all for our good. Oh, but he, yeah, he is so overwhelmed and loving you. But I guess my question to you would be is this, is God enough for you? Because if he isn't, you'll start trying to look at other things or people in order to find fulfillment and satisfaction. And I got to be honest, guys, the ways of the world are just fleeting. Read the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon, who had everything, went into life and he said, I'm going to do this experiment. I'm just going to do everything I want, all the pleasures. And at the end, he goes, I just read this morning. This was my time with Jesus. At the end, he says something like, this is the end. This is, what I've, this is my conclusion. Fear God and do what he says. That's it. Like all the pleasures I've tried, it's all a waste of time. It's all vanity. But all, fear the Lord and do what he says. So yes, 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 yes. He's not sitting there going, man, nope. Didn't do it for me. But my question to you now is, is he enough for you? Find complete satisfaction in him. And you, how do you do that? Friends, it's a journey. It's a walk. Like those, I don't have the 14 steps. It all comes back to abide. It all comes back to spend time with him. Get to know him. Let him speak truth into your life. So then all the lies that you listen to and the lies that you believe about yourself begin to dissipate and to vanish as you're taking on and building up your identity and what Jesus says about you because his opinion is the only one that truly matters. That's where I would go with that. And kind of, I guess, even on a similar vein in that, says, how can you have faith and continue to follow God when something bad happens? Oh, wow, yeah. Mm. Um, I hope I can find it. You ever feel the pressure that when you open your Bible, you better be able to find what you were looking for? Like in like five seconds? Yeah, it's like yep. if, you don't, if you can't find it, you're just jacked up. It's like you've like been a pastor. Yeah. How come you don't know where Psalms is still? Hey, I'm going to yeah. give you two words of this verse. How come you don't know it? Um, it's in Genesis. Uh, exactly. Remember Joseph? That's he, the first book. That's <laughs> right. I found that one. <laughs> uh, Joseph sold by his brothers into slavery. That's a pretty raunchy relationship, right? Like first they wanted to kill him, and one's like, let's not kill him. Let's show mercy and sell him, which is so weird to me. And so then he goes off, and he's like 17 when he goes off. So a lot of you 17-year-olds, 16, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, this is you. 
Imagine your siblings, they sell you off, you're bought, and then for the next 13 years, the first, the first thing you go through is that you're, you're the head servant of a guy named Potiphar, and then his wife, Potiphar, I don't know if that's her name, but it's like, all of a sudden, like makes moves on you, and you run outside, I can't sit against my God, and then she accuses you of trying to rape her. And then husband finds out, throws him into prison, but when he's in prison, the warden looks at him and is like, okay, God's with this guy, and gives him the keys to the prison and says, you can run the whole thing. And then all of a sudden, time goes by. Guys, 13 years of this. And then all of a sudden, Pharaoh has a dream. Joseph can interpret it. Fast forward in it. He goes before Pharaoh, tells him the dream, and Pharaoh goes, you're number two. Famine's coming. You know what to do. You are number two. He gives him the signet ring, which is like, you have my signature. You can do whatever you want. And it's toward the end of Genesis where He's reunited with his family. He kind of messes with them. He messes with them a little bit. Um, like he doesn't reveal who he really is. He's kind of, hey, leave this one here. Go back. I'm keeping him as I'm keeping him as a, as, as a prisoner. And so I'm not gonna lie. I probably would have done the same thing. And then there's a part where he says, where was it? So no, that wasn't it. Anyways, he looks at his brothers and he says, what you intended for. Bad, God intended for good. He sent me here to save you. What's that? Perfect, thank you. 50-20. So now you know, this guy should be up here answering the questions. There it is, verse 19. Let's start in verse 19. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I am am in the place of, sorry, for am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Guys, when you go through something that's so difficult, how do you keep going? One day at a time, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Isn't who, Jesus is the one who said that in the Sermon on the Mount. He's got enough trouble in the... In the like, don't worry about, oh, what happens in 12, 12 months from now. No, just focus on today. But you take one step with God. Guys, I can guarantee that in 13 years, if I was a 17-year-old, and all of a sudden I'm at 30, and I see this fruition and what it is that I'm doing, you can see the hand of God and the direction of God, but in the middle of it, it's too hard to see it, right? So what do you do? The same thing you do when you're not going through the, the hard time. You simply spend time with the Lord. You trust. You, te- you keep staking steps. You get your community of faith around you. You start explaining what you're feeling, what you're going through. You let them pray. You let them enter in. All these things are so necessary to continue in faith. We need to stop thinking that faith is this individual only thing with walking with God. It is. There is that aspect. But he gave us each other for a purpose and a reason that we can move forward together in it. But catch this, God's sovereignty means that what is intended for evil or bad, God uses to make it good in our lives. So don't sit there and go, oh, he's absent, he doesn't, he's not going to work. Friends, at least in, the, in my life, and I feel like according to the scriptures, God does his greatest works in the times of affliction. Yeah. So, yeah, you th- said and thanks for the passage, whoever that was, <laughs> thank you. You said something there that kind of just even sparked me uh, on the similar topic of, uh, of when you talk about the, again the, the walk of faith and the, the journey of the believer, you are becoming the man or woman of God. You you are going to be in 15 years today. The the habits you form right now are going to be the habits you have in, in five years, ten years. So again, you can't just wait to say like, oh well, I'm when I'm an adult, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna read my Bible and pray and be a follower of Christ. Those habits start right now. And you, you are a product of, in five years, you are a product of who you are today. 
And so those are, those are important habits to keep up as he talks about spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, spending time in confession, spending time with other believers and letting them in. Those habits that you do now are, are going to directly affect who you are in five years. The, one of the devil's greatest words is tomorrow. Uh, you, can't, you can't say, I'm gonna, I'll start that tomorrow, I'll start that the next day or next week or next month. Man, start today. It doesn't matter. We have this thing in, as believers that we think... Uh, you know, there's, there's times for new beginnings of like, oh, you know what? I'm going to start a great Bible reading plan next month <laughs> because the first of the month is the best time to start a Bible reading plan, right? And then guess what happens? The first of a month happens, and then you forgot to read your Bible, and it's now the second day of the month, and you're like, well, I guess I'll start in October right. uh, because now I've missed the first day, and it's just my Bible reading plan. Day one, it's going to be weird if it starts on the 2nd of October because then I'm going to forget that uh, day two is really day three and day four is really day five, you know? And so, man, you you got to start today, and you, you have to be okay with just, you know, a weird starting time, I guess. But it just, it just yeah. So we got to be, you know, convicted on those things and, and start and be okay uh, having those things start just today and not not tomorrow because we're always going to push things off we're you know we're procrastinators we we push things off it's just who we naturally are oh, uh, can i do one last thing on that okay yeah guys uh, i asked this in the seminar how many of you guys have ever had anyone show up or call or text or email or whatever message you in some way at the exact time at the exact time that you need it with the message that you needed anybody or how many have ever met somebody who's gone through something before you are going through it in the present? Anybody had that happen? And they were able to encourage you. Guys, do you realize it's in 2 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 1? Paul makes mention of this. And so if I sit and go, okay, my life is just about me and how comfortable I am by the time I make it to heaven, that's one way of being self-centered as we continue to walk with Jesus, as if Jesus is a barista and he just does what we want. Like, make my drink like this or else I won't tip you. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, so in chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Now listen, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with which the com or with the comfort with which we ourselves were comforted by God. Do you see the community? Guys, we live in an isolated, individualistic world. And we become, we become more isolated and we're trying to portray how much we have it together. It's in community that we all of a sudden go, oh wait, I'm not the only one that thinks like this. I'm not the only one that feels like this. And then a person who's gone through it, and this is why it's so important, it's so important that I don't just surround myself with people who are of the same age, same stage of life. I need to go with, I need to be surrounded by people who are older than me, who've gone through it. I need to be surrounded by people who are younger than me to remind me that there's joy in life and excitement like we need the community of faith and not just our own friend groups because they can speak into your life. This is what I went through. Man, I went through that. God was faithful. This is what he did. And all of a sudden you walk out going, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. Guys, I've had those conversations with young married people. In fact, I'm, in fact when I was first married, within like our first few months, we went, we, went out, we went out to dinner with a friends of ours that were married like a month after us. And as we started to talk, we, we just kind of sat there and started giggling going, okay, I'm not crazy. Okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doomed. <laughs> it was so helpful, guys. <laughs> it's so, but here's the thing. You have to intentionally get into community. And you cannot, you cannot flourish and become 
a whole disciple of Jesus isolated. It is impossible. You need relationships. It's within relationships that transformation happens. You make decisions that will transform and change the way that you think and are. It happens in relationships. It's not all head knowledge. For those that love the scriptures, love the scriptures, but love the scriptures in community. If you just say, I love, I love doctrine, I love prayer, I love, I love reading the scriptures, a lot of left brain stuff. Guys, he gave us two hemispheres of our, of our brain and he wants us fully devoted disciples. It can't happen without community. Sorry, I got, a little, I got a little pumped on that one. Sorry. Okay, all right. Let's get pumped, on. Brian. Yeah. <laughs> all right, hey, we got time for one last question. And this one says, if God is so powerful and hates sin, why doesn't he just get rid of it? Mm. Um, because he would have to get rid of us. Isn't it weird that we want God to take care of sin? God, take care of all the evil. But when you look at Jesus, I think, it's in, I think it's in Mark 10. I think that's where he meets the rich young ruler. Yeah, hey, whoever gave me Genesis, is that their best? Mark, Mark chapter 10, um, the rich young ruler or the rich young man comes walking up to him and says, hey, what must I do? Good teacher, what must I do to, have to, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, and Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. We think we're pretty good, right? I mean, because mom told us or dad told us, you're good. And here comes Jesus going, no. Because no. the standard is God himself. It doesn't mean we're not loved. Let's accept who we are. But he says, I love, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna, on a little rabbit trail for just a second. Like think about it, he goes, why do you call me good? Only God is good. The question, sometimes you wanna look at Jesus, go focus, <laughs> focus. Like the question was this and Jesus just takes a rabbit trail. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. You know the commandments. Do these things. Do these things. He goes, hmm. And then he says this when he responds to Jesus. He goes, teacher, I've done all these things since I was a youth. Guys, isn't it kind of interesting that he calls him good teacher the first time, but after Jesus says, no one's good except God alone, the second time he refers to Jesus is not good. So what is he maybe saying? He might be saying, okay, I think that you're a teacher, but I don't believe you to be God. Guys, if God got rid of all evil and sin right now, he would have to get rid of all people. Guys, people without Christ are the objects of his grace. Like He wants, to, he wants us. If the Bible says he desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance. Guys, I know that there's just this frustrating time where sin just seems so rampant and ugly. But isn't it quite amazing? There's no other world religion on the planet that tells the story of God becoming human in order to live the life that we live, to take the price that we pay, that we owe, and then to come back from the dead so we can be restored to God. It's always do these things or else. And if you don't have enough good things to get to God, it's like the bad outweigh the good, you're done. The only problem is you never know the score. So I think the reason that God doesn't just get rid of sin is because sinners are the, guys, sinners are the target of his grace. So if he gets rid of sin like that, he gets rid of people. And at one point, at some point, according to the scriptures, yes, all the, the, the final judgment will come. But until that day, church, church, 
We have a mission to introduce people to the gospel, to see them come to know Jesus because someone poured into you, right? I came to Jesus because someone shared Jesus with me. And it's now my responsibility to do the same thing. So I'm really thankful. As, as much as I wish this could be this sweet little perfect existence on this planet, I'm really thankful that God allows things, like allows sin, because we would all be wiped out if he did it. Uh, he wants to give grace. He wants sinners to come to Jesus. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll do here now is we're going to, we'll go into cabin time in just a minute, but again, just the reminder to you guys, and the hope for this morning is, obviously, we can only answer so many questions, but to show you guys that questions are okay. Questions show humility, and questions show a desire to, to know an answer and to know God, um, but again, the reminder of, of where are we going for these questions, where are we going with these answers, but also understanding that some questions aren't just answered in a five-minute uh, answer with a, with a speaker or someone else who, who knows the Word of God. Oftentimes, we have questions about our life, about our walk with God, that requires, the answer requires a walk. The, the answer requires meeting with someone time and time again. And so, man, I just encourage you guys to find someone in your life, if you don't have uh, a godly man or woman in your life as a, as a mentor or someone who you can wrestle with questions or hard times in your life, uh, because sometimes, again, just a, a quick answer isn't always sufficient. You need someone, like Brian was saying, you need community. You need fellowship with other believers who are also going to constantly remind you of these things. We are also uh, so quick to forget things to where oftentimes I know the answer, but then in the moment when I need the answer, I don't remember it or I don't believe it. And I need other friends in my life who love God that can point me back to Scripture, that are going to point me back to the character of who God is, that are going to point me back to the right answers when I don't always believe them or when I'm not remembering them. And so, again, just, man, the reminder, surround yourself with believers. And, again, especially with, with ones that are older than you who have been walking with the Lord for longer, who, who can point you back to who God is and, uh, and point you back to truth uh, in this. And so, uh, man, uh, Brian, anything else as we close out our time? No. You want to pray for us? And I will. Well, then we'll dismiss <clears throat> you guys to cabin time. Yeah. Oh, this is weird. Uh, old school. Can we do, do me a favor? Can we stand as we pray? <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that your desire is us. Jesus, we thank you that you made a way. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, that you're not just with us, but you're in us. And I pray that today and this next time, Questions would be brought up, prayer would happen, community would get deeper. I pray those same things would happen during rec. God, yes, we would, we would enjoy you as we sing to you. We would get serious and look at what your word says, but we would play with you, knowing that as we do, you love watching your kids enjoy what you've provided. God, may all day today be an abiding with you, not just we did it in the morning, now we can do our thing, constantly abiding in you. God, we love you. Pray your blessing over this crew. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You guys are dismissed to cabin time.